One thing about listening to the Diabolical Podcast that ever could stomach. All the damn spoilers. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Ben, just Ben, and this week's movie is 80s vampire romp, The Lost Boys. So dust off those foot-long shoulder pads, and let's get Diabolical. Hello and welcome to the podcast, What We Make. As usual, I'm here with the three ageless, oh, sorry, aging bikers, <laughs> otherwise known as the Panel of Peril. Please introduce yourselves and tell us your all-time favourite vampire movie. I resent that biker's crack. You know I can't bike. You love biker's cracks, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Count Attacular here, aka as Craig. My all-time favourite vampire movie is Interview with the Vampire. Mm. Oh. Yes, yes, quite, quite. I wasn't able to sit through that. (laughs) More for you, that's what I say. No accounting for taste. (laughs) No accounting for the taste of blood. Probably no accounting for minuscule attention spans. (laughs) I'm Gaz, and my (laughs) favourite vampire film is also Interview with the Vampire. Hey, snap. Oh. <laughs> copycat, copycat. Don't know what I'm looking at. Hello, Adam here. My favourite vampire film of all time. Near Dark. No, it's it's got the opposite of dark in it. It's from Dust Till Dawn. Nice. Oh wow! Just because it's batshit crazy. Quentin Tarantino denies they're vampires, of course, but he's yeah. out of his fucking mind. He's out of his tiny little mind. What? Yeah. What does he say they are? Zompires. Like zombies. It's, it's like the most terrifying version of vampires to grace the big screen, I think, really. He might. Yeah, even it. it has in the dialogue that they're vampires. Yeah. It might not have been Quentin Tarantino, actually. It might have been Robert Rodriguez, but one of them said that they are not really vampires. They're like yeah. half zombie, half vampires. Well, I don't know. So it matters us. I really like it, anyway. I just tried to think of. There's so many vampire movies, isn't there? And it's like, there's tons more vampire movies and werewolf movies. Come on, Sex Machine! Yeah. And that's it. And then they just got these huge mouths that open up and stuff like that. And it's the ones where if you were in the film yourself, you'd absolutely shit your pants. Yeah. Whereas if it's just a bloke with pointy teeth, you'd, you'd just be like, hmm, maybe I can stake him really quick. But <laughs> I think that would be a mistake. Oh, very good, Get it. very sharp. I wrote oh. that one down three days ago. I've been <laughs> gagging to use it. Were you dying to use it? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, my favorite vampire film is The Lost Boys, but I will mm-hmm. put out a special mention to what we do in the shadows. Never seen it. Oh, Adam, 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 Adam. You gotta watch it. It's great. They're learning how to use the internet, and they say, I lost a n- nice silk scarf back in 1873. Google it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Later, we'll be competing to see who can come up with this week's most diabolical scheme and earn sweet, sweet peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. But first, let's dive into this week's movie. Released in 1987, The Lost Boys was director Joel Schumacher's follow-up to St. Elmo's Fire, bringing together some of 80s Hollywood's most beautiful and talented young actors. It grossed a respectable $32 million against a budget of $8.5 million, placing it 38th in the year's highest-grossing movies, behind Batteries Not Included and Harry and the Hendersons, but just above The Princess Bride and Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. <laughs> the film did, however, go on to become a huge success on home video. Would you sassy Lotharios care to guess the top three highest-grossing films of 1987? <sighs> Um, and this is worldwide. Predator? No. It's a good guess. That no. is on the list, but uh, uh, I think that might be below Lost Boys, actually. Robocop? No. I'll give you a hint. The, the highest grossing film is about when you fancy... Dirty Dancing. Oof, Dirty Dancing is number three on there. Well done. Ooh. Dirty Dancing is at number three with $213 million. What was that hint going to be? When you fancy someone to death. Hmm. Fatal, Fatal Attraction. attraction yeah. Well done. Fatal Attraction was the highest grossing film of 1987 with $320 million taken worldwide. Wow. <laughs> number two is a sequel. Fatal Attraction 2. <laughs> fatal. Even more fatal. Curly's pubes. <laughs> <laughs> um, a sequel, eh? Aliens. Dude. Do, 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 oh, Beverly do, Hills Cop do, 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 do. 2. Holy shit. Beverly Hills Cop wow. 2. That's a good film. No, it isn't. <laughs> $276 million. I don't remember any of those. <laughs> it's well good. I remember laughing at them. Bridget Nielsen's in, in the second one, and that's about all I remember about the second one. Uh, yeah, she is. And then uh, there's loads of things in it. Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah, Eddie Murphy's in it, isn't he? He goes, or is that Jimmy Carr? <laughs> I've just done Jimmy Carr. On that. Jimmy Carr was the, was the laugh double for Axel Foley. That's a fact. When I was in LA, I saw the Beverly Hills Police Station, which is what they used in the film, and it's ridiculous. It's like a work of modern art. Mm. Just, yeah, the money they, they must have there, obviously. Is there a Dunkin' Donuts right next door? No, it's like, <laughs> check it out online. It's like the architect is amazing. It, we were just walking around the police station as a as if it was an exhibit. It was so like such a good looking building. <laughs> what were you doing in the police station? It's right in front of the Beverly Hills sign, you know, the famous Beverly Hills sign that people mm-hmm. go to see. So okay. we were kind of walking past that so. and we saw this police station. We're like, wow. Commit a crime quick. Yeah, I think you've been arrested <laughs> for international terrorism once again. Once um, again. They followed your plan, but it didn't have enough evidence to 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 hold you, so you were released back into a society. Yeah, the police chief, the angry police chief said that I'm one of the slipperiest customers he's ever come across. And he said, get out of my sight. So I did. He's, yeah. And your nickname now in Beverly Hills is The Eel. So, so others know me as The Greasy Slong. <laughs> <laughs> the Lost Boys was written by first-time screenwriter James Jeremiah's in the summer of 1984, along with childhood friend Jan Fisher, and was inspired by Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire and Peter Pan. The script was sold to Warner Brothers and Richard Donner was brought in to direct following the success of Goonies. However, during pre-production, Donner was offered Lethal Weapon and shifted to the role of executive producer instead. Having worked on St. Elmo's Fire, Donner's wife thought Schumacher would be perfect to take over directorial duties and Warner Brothers agreed. In the movie, Michael, played by Jason Patrick, and his kid brother Sam, played by Corey Haim, moved to the fictional California town of Santa Carla with their mother following her messy divorce. 
On the local boardwalk, Michael becomes enamoured of a beautiful girl who rides with a nocturnal biker gang, led by the charismatic David Powers, played by Keitha Sutherland. Is that his surname? That's quite funny. Didn't yeah, that was his surname. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Isn't it? yeah. Related to Kenny fucking Powers, is he? Oh, it could be. <laughs> God, I need to see that show again. It just sounds like a guy that works in an office or something. Hi, I'm yeah. David Powers. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's your cubicle, David. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Michael runs with the gang and gives in to the eternal scourge of peer pressure, thus beginning his transformation into vampire. Michael begs Sam and his new friends, two self-proclaimed vampire hunters who work at the local comic book store, to help him, and the group sets out to kill the head vampire. The Lost Boys is often cited among great 80s kids' heroism movies alongside all-timers such as E.T. and The Goonies, and is credited with injecting style, sex and humour into the then-ailing genre of vampire movies. Turner, if you had the power to make people who ask your opinion of this movie hallucinate, what star rating out of five would you make them see floating in front of their faces? I would say four out of five stars for me. I am a fan of this movie. It was on my list of movies to pick. So I'm very pleased when you picked it. I won't be pleased if you pick one of mine. I'll fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, I do you know what? It's one of those, like, Gaz picks up Alpha Papa and you pick this. And it's like, mm, yeah. it's, but it's like having two picks very close to each other. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's like I've had three picks. So I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> All your Christmases come at once. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, this this film, I think, really, there's a lot in it for everyone. It's like proper 80s nostalgia, isn't it? The style. It's peak 80s for a lot of it, isn't it? It's yeah, like, it's like a time capsule. It is. I haven't seen it for a while, so I watched it. I thought, well, yeah, it's, it's very much sort of laying the foundations for, like, Buffy and, and the other, like, teen vampire romps that come after it yeah joss whedon has said that it was an influence on him it's clear it's very clear but i i can't remember last time i watched it it can't be that long ago maybe 10 years or something i don't think that's not a long time that's quite long days. ago <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's almost a decade I, I yeah it's um <laughs> I, I well anyway on this watch i reappraised it again and yeah, I, I actually I like it a bit more now. Even the uh, the vampire makeup is in Buffy is straight out of Lost Boys, isn't it? Yeah, the forehead. It is. This this yeah. this hasn't aged as well. You can see it's a bit grey, but it's great. Yeah, I I I really really enjoyed it. And like I say, I'm really pleased that you picked it. Great, Countertacular. Well, it, for me, there are some films, as you know, that give a lot of people great eighties nostalgia. That for one reason or another, I ever I didn't watch in the eighties or just grew up not really caring about, and I'd kind of seen The Lost Boys. But, you know, just judging it on its own merit and not trying to compare it to other films, and assuming that you start with five and deduct a star for anything that is shit, uh, I'd have to give it five, because I thought it was really, really good. (laughs) I totally get why people have nostalgia for it, but just in its own right, without nostalgia, without that lens, it works really well. Uh, everything that it tries to achieve and it's uh, it's not devoid of art it's shot well it's got great script and loads of great performances that all fit in the world so maybe maybe four and a half but generally i thought it was it was very good and everything it needed to be excellent gals are you going to carry on the love train or are you going to disappoint us well for doing star ratings i've just looked up what i gave it on letterbox quickly i gave it three and a half <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a three and a half, 
that's seventy percent. If you get seventy percent in an examination, that's nearly always an A grade. So don't worry that's about solid. it being three and a half. So, <laughs> solid, isn't this it? Is, this is a pass at the University of Gaz, then, is it? I'd say so. Yeah, it's 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 very <laughs> enjoyable. It's a bit too painfully eighties at times for my taste, but by the same <laughs> token, films from this era do not in every case, but in the Lost Boys case, do retain somewhat of a magical quality. Yeah, mm. it's not quite nostalgia, but like I say, there's just something actually quite magical about them. Just the way that they're shot with the vibrant colours and soft focus, and everybody's perfect, mm. and the hairs quaffed and lacquered and it's very cool and, and like uh like turner said yeah you can see the buffy influences which we're all a big fan of back in the day particularly david uh spike was clearly modeled after him as well as billy idol yeah 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 it's a very enjoyable film i did enjoy my watch yeah i, I noticed between this and and labyrinth and just generally stuff that i've seen and remembered the 80s was a decade in, in cinema that lent really like unapologetically heavily into high fantasy mm. which i think is where you get that dreamlike quality you're talking about there's so many fantasy films of that era that have become beloved legend and return to Oz stuff like that not only high fantasy i'd say like pop culture at the time as well mm. um huge influence like you say then with this film and labyrinth it lent heavily on the, the styles at the time and particularly labyrinth it was yeah he wasn't it so yeah so yeah, and uh, and I guess there's loads of other films we could we could wax on about to do the same. Yeah, I'm kind of with Gaz on the way it looked, and turn on with you. I think this actually went up in my estimation uh, on mm-hmm. this watch because obviously there was a nostalgia factor there. But then, as I watched it, as probably as my first time as an adult, actually, mm. I recognised the, the craft that went into it. It shot mm. really nicely. And I found out that it's actually lensed by Michael Chapman, who's the cinematographer from Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. He also did Ghostbusters yeah. 2 and Space Jam. But yeah, you know, so it's it's got that mm. kind of that pedigree and you can see it. Mm. It, it, it mm. shows in the way it's shot. I would say for me, some slight third act problems, but because the rest of the film's so good, I, I can overlook them. Yeah, I know what you mean. The third act is uh, it's rushed and a little bit clumsy but when i thought that to myself i also thought well there's an element of the kind of that's what they're going for they want to kind of make it throw away because the you know the final line and the cut to the credits is so yeah flippant it's kind of a cool factor it doesn't need to be showy in the end i think yeah i think you're right it's a bit rushed and and maybe what they had in mind they weren't quite able to do two million was yeah. cut off the budget actually quite late mm. into pre-production and so they had to cut some corners. So I, I think probably the finale was a part that, that suffered a little bit. But uh, it's not enough to, to spoil the film. Yeah. Again, it's one of those films where they didn't include some stuff, which actually made it better, whether that was a budget thing or whether it was a, a choice. I thought when, like, the vampire's flying, there's only one point where you see, well, sorry, two two scenes where you see him flying, which is where... Michael's outside the window hovering around, but I mean, that's easy. You can just dangle him up and down on a little wire. Mm. And then the only other bit is where Michael and David fly together. But that is such a like half second shot or something like that. The fact that they don't show these vampires flying and you see it from their perspective coming down, it's more terrifying that yeah. way in a mm. way. And then I also think it helps with the longevity of the film as well. That's true. That 
I think if they've been showing these people dangling around like wires, going, oh, we're coming to get you, it'd loot, the film would lose a hell of a lot, I think, from that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they knew that, yeah. We were talking about it last week, weren't we? Less is more. And yeah. That's definitely true in this. Yeah, for sure. It's it's that forgotten art of considerate filmmaking, I think, really. Speaking about uh, budget cuts, they actually, to save some money, they persuaded the Top Gun people to share some of their unused B-roll. So there's actually some footage in the film that was taken straight from Top Gun. Well, not used, but shot for Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, some cool. like the seaside footage, was it? So I, can't, I can't remember exactly what. From the beach volleyball scene, probably. That's what I'm imagining. <laughs> oh, I know. There was a deleted scene from Top Gun where Maverick flew his plane into a load of kids on the <laughs> beach at a campfire, shredded them into pieces. <laughs> One of them went straight down the engine. And gives it a cheeky grin to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, you can be my wingman any day. <laughs> <laughs> and then the windscreen wipers on his cockpit, like... Take an arm off out of his field of vision. Smear with blood. <laughs> <The> flesh. <laughs> All right, before I ask you for highlights and favourite lines, we're going to play a little game I'm calling Did Joel Schumacher Really Say That? Oh, you've got one of my facts. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't have any facts, Gaz. You're not allowed facts when I'm presenting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read some quotes from Joel Schumacher with a banana skin or two thrown in for good measure. If you think it's a true Schumacher quote, say, come on, be one of us. If you think it's bogus, say, maggots, Michael. Discussing the original script draft, Schumacher said, it was very much Goonies go vampire, charming and adorable and very G-rated. The farthest thing that could be in my consciousness. Come come on, us. Come on, be one of us. Come on, come on, come on, me. Come on, be one of us. Come on, Eileen. (laughs) Yes, you're right. It's true. He was going to turn it down, actually. But he went for a run and then a wave of ideas hit him. He thought instead of a cave, the vampires could live in an old Victorian hotel that had crumbled into the San Andreas Fault during the 1906 earthquake. Nice. And that they should be in their late teens and look like a British traveller band was his concept. Mm. Um, (laughs) Riding stripped down motorcycles. And so Jeffrey Baum was brought in to rework the script. All right. Talking about Santa Cruz, the real town where the Lost Boys was filmed, he said, there was a murder outside of our hotel while we were preparing the movie. Come Come on, be one of us. Be one of us. Come on, be one of us. You're right, it's true. He also said it was exactly the kind of place you would go if you were a real teenage vampire. Because you've got the boardwalk, (laughs) the beach... A lot of transient young people, a lot of drug people, and runaway kids all over the place. Mm. So he said, yeah, Santa Cruz was absolutely ideal for his uh, Santa Carla vision. Mm. Okay, the final one. On preparing Corey Feldman for a difficult scene, he said, I was so frustrated, I just slapped him and pushed the door in front of him. Maggots, Maggots, Michael. Michael. Maggots. Come on, be one of us, Michael. I'm afraid it's false. Uh, he was in fact talking about Brooke McCarter who played the vampire Paul he added I've never done it I've never done it in my life and never again I'm ashamed of it it's outrageous he should have reported me I should have been up on charges but I've apologised many many times one of your little tricks there eh yeah I call bullshit on that one of my little tricks yeah <laughs> it's half truth yeah. I've got a really uh, good 
Joel Schumacher quote. Oh, so I didn't I didn't steal yours. No, no. It's actually not about the film. How I think about you're it. Gonna, you're going to apologise for interrupting me then. Apologise. <laughs> <laughs> Apology accepted, Gareth. In an interview with a vampire in 2019, so a couple of years before he passed away, Joel Schumacher said that he had shagged between 10 and 20,000 men. And when you work that out, that's a guy every single day for 57 and a half years. <laughs> wow. Every single day. He's, he's talking out his ass, clearly. clearly. <laughs> well, he wasn't, he wasn't talking out of it. <laughs> well, he probably could have done if that was actually true, that fact. Because his ass would have been that slack. It probably could have formed some Well, he could have had four a time. Yeah, four, four one day, oh, miss geez. a couple of days. Yeah. That's still good going, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, uh, right. Man Pringles, that is. Is that more than Charlie Sheen? What did I? He says he's uh he's been with like ten thousand women or something like that. And you work it out, it's you know it's like yeah, three a day or something. Also, they? <laughs> Maybe they were in competition. Yeah. Him and Joel Schumacher fucking away and then calling each other. How many do you today? How many? How many? I mean he wouldn't have enough time to film movies. You imagine that say six months shooting a film while he's doing it if they're shooting him from the chest up and down his lap as he's looking around him like that yeah action joel's making that awkward eye contact with me again (laughs) (laughs) that's it Corey. keep going keep going yeah yeah and (laughs) cut All right, let's move on to your favourite moments. Gaz, please kick us off. Well, you already alluded to it in the false answer quote for the quiz. It's when David is tricking Michael with the food and he's going, you're eating maggots, you're eating maggots. (laughs) (laughs) He looks down and it's maggots, but it's rice. (laughs) And he's eating fucking worms and it's really spaghetti it's the most childish fucking shit trick it's amazing i was like what are you doing you fucking idiot it's like in arrested development i can't remember the actress's name but when she's got like the lopsided tits and she just keeps on going up here michael up here it's like the the vampire food equivalent of that yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was pissing myself laughing. Is it Judy Greer? Judy Greer. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah. She's just got she's had augmentation, hasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> it's so lame. Yeah. It's it's funny you should say that. As I was watching this, I was in my mind I was thinking the delivery of the name Michael. I couldn't decide if it was Keith Sutherland was best or if uh, Will Arnett's was best in Arrested Development. <laughs> it's a toss up. Maggots Michael. <laughs> Just a bunch of murderous kids, aren't they? <laughs> Turner. Uh, well, I'll, I'll start by saying my least favourite moment is the shit cover of The Doors, People Are Strange. I, I really don't appreciate that. So Echo uh, and the Bunnymen. Yeah, I'm not a big fan mm. of that. I just think it's just a really sort of run-in-the-mill cover version of The Doors. I love that. So. It's great. Yeah, I don't mind it. I don't remember the song. But, yeah, I'm a Doors fan. I <laughs> love The Doors, so... Yeah. Um, Protect them fiercely. Do you like the film The Doors? Or do you think it's really, really uh, boring and one of Oliver Stone's weird sliding films? Sliding Doors, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my favourite scene probably is any scene with um, Edgar and Alan in it, really, because I think they really make the film, especially Corey Feldman. I don't know what direction he was getting from Joel Schumacher or whatever, but every time he's seen, it's just like, Okay, 
<laughs> uh, and he just the way he did, well, I mean we'll get into favorite lines in a bit but I just I think those two together and I mean Corey Feldman's a staple of 80s classics anyway isn't he really so but yeah there's just, there's so many uh, I guess hanging when they drop underneath a bridge as well I'd say yeah mm. there's there's loads of there's so many but that, that's my two favorites I'd say excellent yeah it's tough man voice is very very funny is affected. It's yeah. so nails. funny. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I was every time he was doing it, I was just like, "Why are you not still doing massive, massive movies?" It's just ridiculous. Joel Schumacher said at the time, like the hotel that they took over during production, it was just constant parties, and I'm not sure it was Haim thirteen. He was pretty young, and mm. it was yeah, a lot, of, a lot of cocaine going around, and it was just all night, Shit. right? It's just teenagers just partying all the time. So it was like a really, it was a mad, a mad shoot apparently. Mm. Yeah, Countertacular. I really like the fifties B movie homage where there's teenagers parking in a car and they get the roof ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, that's great. Yeah, then they just get yoinked out of the car. Yeah. Like, um Yes. Just reminds me of Aliens, that actually getting pulled into the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, right. But it's very much out of that. 50s B-movie sensibility. Mm. Make-out point. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Bury me at make-out point. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? No, there's nothing there. Come here, you. <laughs> Did it eat them? It ate everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a friend of theirs. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the opening. Yeah. It was just a, a short vignette that, in the, in the same tradition as Jurassic Park, went on to do mm. it's kind of like a little standalone scene that, that sets everything up nicely and then you kind of go into the mm. karma opening mm. so i, I enjoyed yeah, that great. yeah great helicopter shots great music it all comes together yeah. really oh good. thou shalt not fall mm. oh when mm. that kicks in i was like oh yes this yeah. is so good <laughs> yeah they overuse that to fuck though don't they yeah it. it works so yeah and then another thing i liked being a fan of economical and clever storytelling i liked that we see a lot of the missing children posters yeah. at the beginning, just mm. that starts setting things up really nicely too. Yeah, yeah, it kind of um, emphasises the bit where they say it's the murder capital of the world and stuff. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about things that place it really firmly in the eighties. One of the early things that I noted was that there's a, a semi-naked saxophone dude who looks like a wrestler <laughs> yes, for some reason. I've got that as well. <laughs> Playing on the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got proper 80s nostalgia, mullet, oiled up muscled sax player. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like very much a soft rock, funky song, and there's like people headbanging like it's friggin' yeah. make on death in the crowd, isn't yes, it? Yes, like fit, discordant. The guy whose name is Timmy Capello, and he is on the soundtrack. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And actually, I've got some personal questions, and one of them for Countertacular is... Is Timmy Capello, the topless singer at the beach concert, the sexiest sax player you've ever seen? Um, I, th- I have to say yes, because I'm struggling to think of any right. others. Right. Yeah. Mm. But he probably would have been anyway, right? I mean... I, I think we need a selection of um, saxophone players from various 80s It's videos, Kenny G, but I can't... He hasn't got that sex appeal. Bleeding Gums Murphy. Bleeding Gums Murphy, yeah. <laughs> um, what's the name? Uh, what's the guy called? Uh... I'm not going to sit here and listen to you think of uh, sax. Ba- Baker Street, you know Baker Street. That's got a, that's got oh, a good f- sax. Jerry going. Rafferty. Jerry Rafferty. Does he play a sax in that? Or is it his sax? He does I don't think he plays that. No, there you go. So Jer- Jerry Rafferty's sax player. Yeah. The sax player from 
Boy Meets World, who plays Waiting for, for a Star to Fall. That's pretty. That's a sexy solo. But mm. I'd like to see. I, I don't. I'm that. not talking about their playing. I'm talking about physically. I mean, yeah, Timmy but that's what I'm saying, But we need to see the videos for these songs. Uh, okay. All right. We'll we put it a... put it in your homework list, Turner. I will, and I think we should put that out to listeners as well. Is there a sexier sax player? Then uh, mullet-haired Timmy O'Toole from The Lost Boys. Timmy Capello. <laughs> right, since we're on the personal questions, Adam, if your life depended on yes. it, would you rather eat maggots or worms? Worms. What? Yes. Maggots, easy. No, they they, ex- they explode in your mouth. And nah, they're meaty, like they're like, tough <laughs> and like chicken. They don't have any you slime can, inside. You get a worm like that and just go, and just swallow it oh, straight no. down and be like spaghetti. It'd be wriggling yeah. on the way down, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. burger. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen to me, right? When I was two years old, I used to pick snails off the rockery and eat them. So, worms, oh. no issue. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. French so delicacy. That. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, raw right. snails was, are not a French I, delicacy. I, I, I set the trend in the UK before 1982. <laughs> they didn't have any over here. <laughs> All right, Gaz, a question for you. Have you ever tasted the blood of another human being? Uh, don't think so. Listeners, he, <laughs> li- <laughs> listeners, Gaz does have the have the look of truth on his face, so we will we'll give him the benefit not, of the doubt there. Not not that I remember. All right, let's move on to favorite lines. Oh well, hang on, because uh, oh, I got some other stuff to say about the film. Yeah, the listeners don't want to hear it. They told me <laughs> they're just te- they're texting me at the moment saying, "Cut Craig off." Yeah, <laughs> I was really pleased. To see Edward Herman show up in this because I forgot he was in it. Uh, that's Max, and he is uh, Rex Rexroth in Intolerable Cruelty. Oh, of course he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah I recognised him. Oh. Choo choo. Yeah, he's the granddad <laughs> in Gilmore Girls, which I I absolutely love. Gilmore Girls, and highly recommend you watch it if you haven't already. Also, um, one of the creepiest things in this film, I think, is the arrival of the little kid in the uh, the weird old timey army uniform. Yeah. Why the fuck do they dress him like that? He's only gone missing recently. So why yeah, is he dressed like cotton. a little fucking drummer yeah. boy? <laughs> I thought he was meant to be like a Confederate army time ghost. <laughs> Maybe he's like soiled his normal clothes and that was the only clothes they had in the cave for him. Speaking of the cave, it's a did, hotel. Did you notice that yeah, vampires like Baileys, don't they? Baileys. Big Baileys bottle in shop. Yeah. yeah, yeah it, <laughs> I didn't see didn't that. that. Next to the blood is a huge bottle of Baileys with like a candle in it. <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Just going back to the granddad in Lost Boys. In my notes, I've described him as the Willy Wonka of taxidermy. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny that they show him putting a stake in the ground like quite early on, and he's he's obviously put it like stake side up as well, which yeah. you wouldn't do if you were like putting a fence yeah. in. Okay, favorite lines. Fellows, my favorite line is going to be an Edgar favorite line, and he, he just simply says, "It turns holy water into holy slaughter." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his fingernails are longer. He always had bad breath, though. <laughs> yeah. Such a thing that you would say about your big brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to, you got to put him down somehow. Well, I actually already did mine in my favorite moment. So all I'll add here mm. is that. When they're going onto the beach and into the cave, this is just human people now, I think. I don't think it's vampires. But anyway, they're all just going, yeah, woo! It's like, (laughs) 
is this just a thing that happens in movies just walking from one place to the other go yeah i've never considered doing it in real life or seen anybody you ever been to america (laughs) no they tend to whoop and holler about all sorts of inane things over there so flash bastards yeah Yeah. (laughs) just alienate the audience there but half the audience (laughs) hey there folks how y'all doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah well do you know what we're always characterized as tea drinking um stiff up a lip morons over here so you know Take some of that, you Yankee oh, bastards. I, I love tea, though. Hey, I don't drink tea. <laughs> I bet you yeah, do. but you, you're Japanese. Yeah, but you're, you're just a freak. I love tea. And have you noticed <laughs> when I talk, don't move my top lip very much. It's all done with yeah, the bottom. Neither do I. Yeah, and I your definition of a stiff upper lip. You are a moron, notoriously. And I am a moron, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite line was how Keitha Sutherland delivers Michael. And so I'll give you another example. Yes, appreciate the line, that. They're only noodles, Michael. It's <laughs> amazing. Oh, dear, I do. It's the fact that he says Michael in full every time. It just makes me laugh. Michael. Hey, Mike. Michael. <laughs> Join us, Michael. You've got something on your ship, Michael. Bops him in the nose when he looks down. <laughs> <laughs> All this trick of the book, Michael. Oh no, Michael! You've pissed all over yourself. I put cling, I put saran wrap on the on the toilet bowl. <laughs> David Powers is just a little prankster, is he? There's one line that I think is a real missed opportunity, which is when uh, the grandpa tells them that he's banging the old widow Johnson. Michael says, "What'd you stuff for her?" And then, but he answers. He goes, "Mr. Johnson." And if he just left there, what'd you stuff for her? I would have been thinking, yeah, what do you stuff for her? You know, <laughs> her, her vagina. He should have said her beaver. Ooh. Mm, nice beaver. Ooh. <laughs> Thanks. I stuffed yeah. it myself. It would have gone straight to PG-13, though, straight away if I did that. I think it is R-rated anyway. Yeah, it's a 15 over here. Yeah. Yeah. It was when it was well, released. Well, the end of it's gory as fuck. Yeah. yeah, I suppose, yeah. In the bath. Yeah. Yeah. Guy melts yeah, in the bath, it, and yeah, then yeah, that yeah. other guy, there's like a shower of fucking blood. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we move on to the villain plot, I'll give you a little bit of a, an, an extra factoid. Ben's facts! After the success of Lost Boys, Warner Brothers and Donna both wanted to do a sequel, but Schumacher apparently suggested a prequel, introducing the Lost Boys in a story set around the 1906 earthquake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like to see that. He suggested horses and it would be quite fun. Yeah. And then he also suggested a female version, The Lost Girls, mm. starring Drew Barrymore and Rosanna Arquette on motorcycles. Oh. Mm. But plans kind of faded away and it was it was never realised. Mm. That's a shame. They made something though, didn't they? They've made a load of them now. Yeah. Uh, much later, there was a TV show and a couple of straight-to-DVD jobbies, yeah. Oh, right. And a comic but you're talking like 20 years after the fact, at least. Yeah. There's a yeah. comic called Reign of Frogs, which is obviously a reference to the Frog Brothers. Yeah, right. It's a Magnolia crossover. That's what I was going to ask you, Craig. I've written down a question for you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I apologise, uh, Counter Tacular. You are oh. wonderful in every dimension. Um, <laughs> I did call you by your real name before. Oh, you've so got to do it as well, then. give you the compliment now. You've got a silky voice. Yes, I, I yeah. do. Well, my my question is, <laughs> the comic in the movie 
Yeah. Uh, is Vampires Everywhere a real comic? And I know you've spotted these comics in the past and then done your research. I didn't so I this time. I don't think oh. it is. I, know, I don't I think it is. Maybe I think it's, it's just a cover because yeah. it looks quite like a good cover. Yeah, but on but... the back, it's got a really fake looking advert for another comic. That's what okay. tipped me off. Okay, fair enough. I, we'll take it as a fake then, unless yeah. one of our avid listeners can inform us otherwise. Yeah. Perhaps uh, sink your battleship. You're asking a lot of the Peril Pals this week. They're going to start charging us. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to give a little to get a little. You can so, send your invoices saying... to my ass. <laughs> no, after, after, after all the insane we give them guys. Suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> you should be fucking paying me. <laughs> right, so after David is impaled, we discover that the head vampire is in fact Max, the charming video store owner who is dating Sam and Michael's mother. He had instructed David and his gang to turn Sam and Michael into vampires so that their mother could not refuse to be transformed herself, as he wanted her to be mother to his lost boys. So what did you think of Max's scheming, Gaz? Um, it's okay. It's hard for me to think about it without taking into consideration how the script tips its hand. I don't know whether it's intentional that as soon as they think it's Max, the fake out that he isn't the head vampire doesn't work for me. Mm. I hadn't seen it in such a long time that I didn't remember the twist. It's just as soon as he's asking to be invited in, it's obvious to me what he's up to. He's acting a bit too vampire-y in that moment, not being sneaky enough, and the kids are on to him right. from the start. I don't know. Do you not think? But he eats the garlic, and then yeah. they explain later that it doesn't do anything. But he also he has a reflection in the mirror, which doesn't make mm. any sense. I read somewhere yeah. that part of the law in this is that if the vampire gets invited in, not only can they come in, but any vampire test you do on them doesn't work, and that's why he's got a reflection. Yeah, I think that's what he. They do explain that in a line in the film. Yeah, they do. It says it renders you powerless, doesn't it, when you invite All him right, in? All right, George Lucas. <laughs> but. I guess the the other lot break in, don't they? So I guess that's why they all, all the shit happens to them. Holy water still works and stuff like right. that. Right. Okay. But they can still come in though. But I don't understand if. Well, to me, not... at the time, I thought, even though I I remembered, mm. obviously, I texted you guys and said, "Oh, I, I remembered the twist as soon as I saw him mm. pop up." But I still thought in that scene, I was like, "How come he's got a reflection?" That I think that would have thrown me off if I didn't know. Just the fact that he has a reflection. I would have been like, oh, okay, he's not then. And I thought it was intentional that he got asked to be invited in so that you go, oh, he's definitely him. Yeah. And then you see his reflection and you go, oh, yeah. no. no. Yeah, so it's messing with you in that way. Yeah, definitely. That's what I thought. It's a double negative. I never bought, even though you could see his reflection and he had mountains of garlic i still just thought it's it's definitely him but what i would say is it's it's a very laudable scheme isn't it starting a new family fair play to the lad he's uh <laughs> he's he's doing a good thing for for two families there good on him well just as a counterpoint yes. i'm gonna suggest that he doesn't really have much of a plan and that david and and the other boys kind of recruit michael without yeah. not only without him telling them yeah. to do it but he seems to be pissed off with everything they do <laughs> and he's like, get out of the store. I don't yeah. think he's got a real plan. It just kind of falls in his lap a bit. 
He's no micromanager, is he, for sure? He's told the Lost Boys to get Michael, right? Has he? That's why they don't just kill him outright. Yeah, but it's not it's not quite clear, though, because later on, Star says to Michael that he was supposed to be her first. Yeah, she was supposed to kill him. Yeah, okay. So it's, I don't know, I don't know if there's just like a mix-up in the script or whatever, but he's very hands-off anyway. He doesn't deal with the whole plot. Delegation is what you need. Yeah, he doesn't delegate anybody to get Sam, though, does he? So Yeah. And, and then that's the whole bit where he falls apart because he's the suspicious one after meeting the comic book guys. Yeah. Obviously, that's where the Peter Pan comes into it because Peter's goal is to get Wendy to be the mother to the Lost Boys. Mm. So if you say that, you know, Max is Peter and the Lost Boys, for Peter Pan, they're kind of out of control, aren't they? That's kind of the point. Mm. That's why he thinks they need mm. a mother. But he goes off and gets her, whereas I feel like in this, she just kind of falls in his lap. He doesn't seem to have much Mm. of a plan to me. Yeah, I think he meets her after Michael has run into the Lost Boys, doesn't he? I think. Yeah. In the video still. Timeline. Yeah. 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 She just wanders in to get away from them. Is that what happens? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Although, mind you, have they driven her into there so that they do meet? Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Because he tells them to get out, though, doesn't he? He says, I told you not to come in here again. Mm. Throwing her off the scent there, though, yeah. perhaps. I don't know. It's mm. it's a bit vague in all respects, I think, really. Yeah. I mean, if mm. he did, in fact, tell the Lost Boys to turn Michael and Sam in order to persuade the mother, I think it's a, a fairly sneaky idea. So I'll give it five florets of broccoli. <sighs> mm. Yeah. And a bulb of garlic. Ooh. <laughs> Just to keep myself safe from any recriminations. A bulb or a clove? A bulb. Get that whole fucker in there. A whole bulb. Jesus, that's going to be some garlicky broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part of the show where we compete to see who can improve the villain's scheme the best and earn precious peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. We'll each share an alternative plan and vote for our favourite at the end. Max uses his dazzling personality and his vampire spawn to try and persuade the object of his desires to become mother to his lost boys. But he is ultimately unsuccessful. Countertacular, what would you have done differently? Okay, here we go. California, USA, 1987. The heyday of HIV. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days... Those halcyon oh, HIV takes days. Takes me back. <laughs> I told you to get ready. <laughs> Dirty Dancing is steaming up the box office, launching a trend for young men to try to pick up girls with their hands up the tutu. The bangles melt the charts with the sultry sounds of Susanna Hoffs, causing many to learn how to wank like an Egyptian. <laughs> And 20-year-old Mike Emerson is your typical horny all-American teenager. When Mike moves into town with his mother and young brother, VHS-loving vamp Max recalls what it was once like to be young, dumb and full of cum. He's heard from his lost boys that Mike has shown an interest in both Star and David, but hasn't yet sealed the deal in either sense. As a man of means, reaping the fantastic revenue afforded by the burgeoning market in video rentals, which will presumably never collapse, Max is easily able to afford two things. First, he buys David, Star, Laddie and the boys tickets to Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, along with some spending cash to get them out of the way for a bit. And second, the services of a fine working girl. I'm talking like the Kelly LeBrock you ordered from Wish. 
he uses his preternatural sense to sniff out just the right one, something in the blood. He arranges a meet-cute for the girl, who claims to be the daughter of their kind, rewinding new neighbour. One thing leads to another, and before you know it, Mike has AIDS. (laughs) Well, HIV, but you know. Distraught and helpless, Lucy (laughs) confides in Max, who reciprocates, letting her know about his shocking secret, but assuring her that the stories she may have heard about vampires are all boo-hockey, and that he's truly a nice guy. His blood just happens to flow with the power to heal and stave off all disease. He begs her to let him help. What mother could refuse? Initially, she is, of course, naturally wary and distressed when her son begins to writhe in agony and crawl across the ceiling, but Max is able to convince her that, while the ceiling crawling is definitely a side effect of his wonderful claret, the agony is probably hepatitis. Once Mike is looking hale and hearty again, Max plays his cards and asks Lucy to imbibe also. Her child will never age now, and will always need a mother. Also, his daughter had AIDS and probably Hep B, so she needs more parenting too. Lucy is unsure, but her maternal instinct is strong, and she sees that Mike needs her, so she agrees. Her dad doesn't come back because Max already turned the widow Johnson previously, and uh, she's bit his cock off. (laughs) (laughs) He's too busy stuffing it. (laughs) So there you go. What happened to Sam? Uh, well, eventually he's just brought into the fold as well. <laughs> Wrapped up in a neat little bow there, eh? That's a bit of a shoo-shoo. Or right. Lucas one line. There's that little prologue. Just one line flashes up. <laughs> black screen, white text, like the end of a Chinese film that they've edited. Well, t- you know, to him as well, all he knows Max for in this scenario is the nice guy who saved his brother from AIDS. Yeah. I also think Lucy is a bit more desperate to find somebody you know, that's the whole way she comes across in the film, to be honest. No? Like she's looking for a, a father as well as he's looking for a mother. Yeah, well, you know, she's that first date. She's in the restaurant, didn't she? And mm. Like he's flying about and stuff. And then yeah. he gets a call and she fucks off and leaves him sitting there, doesn't she? So she's definitely trying to pull out all the stops to impress him. I think so. So yeah, I feel your vibe on that one for sure. How does Max find uh, sex workers who definitely have hiv is he just walking around he can smell he can smell uh, it well he's a yeah he's, he knows blood he's a mm. vampire so he can yeah. tell when blood is diseased it has a different taste and smell okay. so uh, he sniffs out just the right mm. just the right hooker what's your timeline on this plan i don't know how quick aids moves i think probably he'll tell the girl that she has it and tell her to tell him and what i pictured is that at the end of it all he probably does bring her into the family as well this uh <laughs> this working girl so it's a nice rounded family because he's pretended it's his daughter so he has to kind of keep it up so right and he's a vampire anyway so i suppose right months mean nothing to him right yeah exactly okay. uh, but I, I don't think it would take that long i think you know they get it on he thinks it's going to be a one night stand maybe michael but then the next day she goes oh by the way sorry um I've got AIDS, and he's like, "Oh no, that's that's too bad for you." And she's like, "No, you—that means you have as well." And he's like, "Oh my shit, oh, fuck, God!" Could we change it to have David break the news, and he just goes, "AIDS, Michael." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, but he has to phone him up from Disneyland to tell him. <laughs> you just hear Mickey in the background going, "Ooh," <laughs> Goofy going, "Oh no." <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> 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 
shucks. That was lovely. That was really good. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Turner. Okie dokie. Lucy. She's a woman down on her luck. And if it wasn't for the interference of her eldest son, she'd already be a vampire. Max needs to manage the situation more closely to get the boys on board. Michael looks like he's having a three-day hangover rather than enjoying all the benefits eternal youth and immortality bring. David hasn't given it the hard sell. Kids aren't the same as it was in his day when chasing a hoop down the road with a stick was all a child had to look forward to. An easy decision back then to turn your back on the mortal world. Clearly, Michael is motivated by pussy and motorbikes. Why not combine the two? No, not a <laughs> motorbike with a fanny, a girl with a motorcycle. <laughs> Jesus. If you're thinking that's basically Star, you're wrong. She can't drive a motorcycle. She still has stabilizers on a bicycle, for Christ's sake. She might have Michael's attention, but David soon deals with that. Where's Star, David? She's gone, Michael. We weren't butch enough for her. She and that stupid little kid ran off with some hell's angels. I hope you're happy. It was your fault. Michael looks crestfallen and rejected, but he knows, deep down, he isn't butch enough for Star either. Secretly, Star and the kid have been killed and their bodies burned. <laughs> Under Max's direction, David lures Michael to a biker meet where he tells Michael loads of sexy biker girls are going to be. I like the feel of something throbbing between my legs, says one Cindy Lauper lookalike motorcycle enthusiast to Michael. <laughs> when I've got something hard in my hand, I always can't resist giving it a twist, says another scorcher. <laughs> Michael's eyes nearly pop out of his head. You can have any girl you want, Michael. Drink her blood, become one of us, and then turn her yourself. She'll never leave you, or pick another. Whatever, it's your choice. Later, they all go and steal really sweet motorbikes from a shop, and then razz them around a bit, plus drugs. And the world's largest jelly snake. They also steal that from a sweet shop downtown. <laughs> they also go and kill some people Michael thinks are pricks. <laughs> Michael is having the best time since sliced bread and decides murdering people is actually worth it for a sweet set of wheels and his pick of hot babes. The younger son, Sam, is an easier target. Lucy tells Max that Sam is frustrated with living with his grandfather as he doesn't have a TV and other modern furnishings of the 1980s. That and his taxidermy business is doing his head in. Before Edgar and Alan can get their claws into him and Sam's curiosity in his brother's activities peak, Max invites Lucy and Sam around for a meal while Michael and his boys continue to get acquainted. After dinner, Max invites his guests through to the lounge and he unveils his devious plan. How about the ultimate in remote-controlled entertainment with Fisher, says Max computerized remote control, 27-inch stereo broadcast TV, VHS hi-fi stereo VCR, 150-watt amp, digital tuner, programmable CD player, dual cassette, programmable turntable, 
10 band equalizer, three-way speakers, and cabinet. Sam almost <laughs> faints. That's something that interests you, Sam, says Max. Sam lunges at the remote control and throws himself down onto Max's sofa to watch MTV, blasting out through the entertainment system. Max also has an Apple Mac 128K, NES, fax machine and camcorder off to one side, just as a backup. Max takes Lucy to one side and confesses his love for her, his undying love. He can provide for her and the boys, and that also he is a vampire and wishes to make her his bride for all eternity. Max tells her that Michael has already been turned by David and is living his best life and that she can be the one who turns Sam if she just in turn agrees to become a vampire. Fed up with working loads of shit jobs and living with a weird dad with no telly, she <laughs> agrees. A few days later, after Lucy turns Sam, the whole family track down Edgar and Alan and feed them to Sam to complete his transition. <laughs> All right. Any questions for, for Turner? <laughs> um, that shit crazy? Enough for you? It's up there. I guess this is going to be true of everybody's plan, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's got to, it's got to be, hasn't it? Really. So not that. I didn't think I'd be, I didn't think I'd be rooted in sanity with us by a long way, and I, did, I thought I was going to be in good company. Yeah, not that. But what I was wondering about is because he hasn't fed mm-hmm. in the film, Michael kind of retains his morality yeah. and wants to yeah. fight back. And don't you think that Sam would, and that maybe the men would be a little bit reluctant to no, become a vampire just because he offers. No, it, it's because he's, he's he, you know, the start of the film, he makes a big deal of like, there's no telly, there's no MTV, oh, fuck's sake, you know, yeah. what are we going to do? Lucy tells Max the story, oh, he's, you know, we haven't got a telly, my youngest is pulling his hair out. And then I actually did some research into like 80s entertainment systems. Oh, I, I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> $5,000 at the time for this exact... Fuck me. That's crazy. And I thought, well, if $5,000 in 1987 doesn't impress a teenage kid, mm. then I'm up shit creek. That would stop him going to the comic book store as well because he'd just be plonked in mm. front of that. Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly, yeah. He just goes to the comic books. I mean, he must still like comics, but you know what I mean? He just... He's just meandering around because he's absolutely at his wit's end, isn't he? Mm. Mm. Good stuff. All right, if there are no further questions, we'll move on to Gaz's plan. See how many typos and mistakes I've got this week. <laughs> how many fucking question marks? There's a few, not as many as last week. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking questions, guys. Will you? Will you? Will you be my vampire lady baby tonight? As the old chubby checker song goes. Flinging his big old arms around he was as he sang that lovely, lovely ballad. An ode to all the lovely, lovely vampire mothers out there. Now, I'll be honest for a moment if I might, but I thought he died in that aeroplane crash in the 60s or 70s. But it turns out I was wrong and he's alive and well. So there we are. It was the big bopper. It was the big bopper. I had to live through the horrible music of the Big Bopper and then the horrible tragedy of his death. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions about Chubby Checker before I carry on? Shout out to Johnny Horsley. <laughs> now then. 
if Chubby Checker had played the role of Max, I just wonder, I really do just wonder what that might have done to change the texture of the film, do you think? Would have been quite different, wouldn't it? Because Checker, to my knowledge, was not an actor, a, 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 a professional actor at any rate, although that's not to say he didn't do anything at an amateur dramatic style level, because he might very well have done. I don't know, unfortunately, but if you'll humour me for five or so minutes, I can do a little digging and see what I can find. All right. What I would say is, if Chubby no. Checker had played Max, that would have been a very different twist, wouldn't it? Can I go for a piss while you while you search for stuff? I'm <laughs> not really search. searching for it. Oh, it's okay. an act, quite clearly, Turner. <laughs> yeah. It was a jape. On, let's get a through his plan and then... Jape. So I'm, I'm acting out part of his plan. We, you know, ah. don't spoil it for everybody. You just wrecked it for the <laughs> listener now. You just your inception the whole layers me. Episode, it's your episode, and you've shit all over it. <laughs> you own it. All right. Okay. Sorry, okay. The Lost Boys. That's a bit of a misnomer, though, isn't it? They're not flipping lost. I can see them right there on the screen. The daft beggars. What are they like? Bunch of flaming <laughs> daft rotters, beggars, chances, whatever colloquialism you'd like to throw at them, really. And chubby checker. He could throw a lot at them as a big lad. Oh, he's a big, rugged, handsome lad. And if you step out of line, he'll give you a swift clip over the ear hole before twisting away again like he did last summer. <laughs> it's a summer tradition for him. And the film's set during the summer, I think, isn't it? Parties yeah. on the beach every night. I think it must be set during the summer, at least. Any ideas as to whether the film's set during summer, anybody? I believe it is. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe. Oh, no, it isn't. Give me five minutes and I'll Google it. On with the plan. Michael. He's behind you. Is nigh on under the thrall of David and the... Have you ever called him uh, Queefer Sutherland? It's quite a good gag. (laughs) He's under the thrall of David and the gang. And, you know, I think he'd be even further under the thrall of David were he to be played by Chubby Checker. Yes, our favourite funky bossing over choo-choo man would make a wonderful David with his leather jacket and his slicked-back bleach blonde mullet, although, as I say, I'm not aware of any prior professional acting experience. He may have, but I'm not sure. He'd be all like, maggots. You're eating maggots, Michael. And now let's twist again. And I feel it would come across a lot better to both fictional characters and the viewers because he's a likeable chap. Now for the cherry on top of that cake. The detail that seals the deal, the dot above the eye, the cross on the letter T. Lucy, played by Diane Weist, and she's good, isn't she? But I just have a little nagging feeling, a little doubting Thomas, that tells me <laughs> that we might be able to give her role a bit of extra pep. <sighs> she's played by Chubby Checker. <laughs> I'm going to suggest that Lucy instead be played by Chubby Checker. <laughs> <laughs> He'd bring oh, a certain man. charm, insouciance, innocence, and a very motherly quality to the role. Swinging his arms about as he goes, twisting like he did last summer once again. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now, this is the clever part. I, Gareth Slade, invent... <laughs> I, Gareth Slade, invent time travel, then time travel back in time to meet the casting director and insert Checker's name onto the shortlist for these three key roles. Unable to resist the pull of Checker, 
Joel Schumacher and his <laughs> casting director would cast him in the three key roles of Max, David and Lucy, thereby changing the very fabric of the screenplay for the better and ensuring that Lucy <laughs> cannot resist the charms of Max, but ensuring that David is a little more reasonable in how he recruits Michael and subsequent other family members. They all then live together as one big, happy, chubby checker family. I think it's cruel if we ask questions of us. Yeah, I, 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 I'd just like to, to to basically give you a statement. Is like you will not get a point from me this week. So <laughs> I got one question, which is: Did you come up with this plan after Ben mentioned that there was a twist in this film? Is that <laughs> now that you mention it, I suppose that could have been uh, seeded, couldn't it? I didn't think yeah. of that. Yeah. I-, I was wondering if you were listening to Jive Bunny Records. <laughs> he incepted you. <laughs> Can you name an- another famous example of a, a time when the, the casting of a-, a major character has radically altered the screenplay, not just in terms of dialogue, but in terms of plot? Mm. In terms of plot. Mm. Uh, Beetlejuice, I'll help you out. There you go. Who was in that? <laughs> Michael Douglas? No, it's Billy Crystal. Crystal. Charlie Sheen? (laughs) Billy Crystal, that's who I was thinking of. Michael Douglas is Michael Keaton's real name. That's why uh, that came out. So, Gaz. Yes. I mean, the very, very many holes aside, if you did have Chubby Checker in those three key roles, Hmm. do you think they would have the visual effects enough to make that work? Yeah, you just lock the camera off and yeah. you know, get get the eyeline matching and be like um, the the film that I had in mind was uh, Multiplicity, starring Billy Crystal again. Mm. I, I guess if we were really putting a hole in it, like if we were being serious, uh, not that I'm suggesting you're not being serious with this plan, <laughs> but I would say that this is a plan affecting the real world and not the world of the story yeah. you want to physically go back in time in real life and recast the part that's not a plan that the character's coming up with mm, which is mm, uh, mm. you know if we were being a stickler for the rules oh yeah I think it's clear this is absolutely nuts <laughs> well I can't argue with it but I can flick the V's and blow raspberry <laughs> <laughs> alright let me uh, bring this home Come on, then. So how do I persuade someone to become mother of my group of wayward youngsters? I stare out of the window of my thriving video store. Look at them all. The dregs of humanity. Mindless slaves to one vice or another. Mindless slaves. Hey, now there's an idea. I rush out onto the boardwalk. I don't have to go far. A shady fellow with a hooked nose and sunken eyes sells me a starter bag of Sweet Lady H for just a few dollars. (laughs) On our next date, I use my hallucinatory powers to disguise the needle in my hand as a red rose. Oh, I'm sorry. Did its thorn prick you? (laughs) Little does she know, she's just been injected with a smidgen of heroin. She has the time of her life with me that night, falling even deeper in love with me. The next morning, she wakes up. She feels low. And worse than that, she craves something, but can't put a finger on it. It dogs her mind all day like a hellhound protecting its master. The next time we meet, I inject her again. This time the needle's disguised as a mosquito that lands on her arm. (laughs) I'll get it, I say. Oh, was I too late? It pricked you. 
she starts to feel fulfilled again, her craving finally satisfied. She tries to work out what's causing these feelings. She might realise today or maybe tomorrow, it doesn't matter. But when she's with me, she feels good, satisfied. And when she's away from me, she feels cold, down, and her skin feels like it's crawling with maggots. Over time, she develops a physical addiction to the horse, but rationalises it as being madly in love with me. As I gradually up the dosage, she begs to spend more time with me. Let's get married, I say. Naturally, she wants to spend the rest of her life with someone who makes her feel this damned good. But I must warn you, I say. I'm not like other video shop owners. By the time I reveal my true self, she's so far gone, she'll do anything for my sweet, sweet candy. And getting her to be the mother of my lost boys is a cinch. Bless this scuzzy town. Right. Well, my first question is, would you really want a smackhead to be mother of your kids? That's what I was <laughs> going to ask here. <laughs> Once she's turned to a vampire, that will be gone, won't it? So then her only addiction will be yeah, feeding. I don't know, because they still drink Baileys and they still eat, yeah. you know, Chinese food. <laughs> still, yeah, and then I think that speaks higher of, of vampires than it does of smackheads. <laughs> and she's going to be in a hell of a state by the time you marry. If it keeps up in a dose, she's going to be jonesing for a fix all the time. Her teeth are going to be all wonky and knackered. That Fuck beats that. any meat injection. That beats <laughs> any fucking cock in the waddle. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe she just uh, she realise what's happened to her and go chasing the dragon elsewhere yeah maybe if she can't get high when he's not around she'll turn to like alcohol because the yeah. thing she knows yeah. no she'll she, you know the dose will yeah. be very high and it'll be kind of kept it'll be kept low on purpose <laughs> okay but, okay but but it'll be enough so that when she's with me she knows she feels good I got a different question for you then because you asked me about timelines with my plan. So I'm going to ask you, how long does it take to get addicted to heroin on a microdose? Uh, well, I've experimented with this just for the purposes of the plan. Yeah, I, hope I, could, say, I could say two days. Okay. Yeah, I, I've been microdosing heroin for years and it's yeah. very small. So it'll pick me up in the morning. So there you have it. Any more questions? So. I thought you were going somewhere quite different when you said mindless zombies, though. I thought you, I thought you were going to lobotomize her and have a, like a, a lobotomized vampire wife. That's even better. I wish I'd have done that. Just, just blankly doing the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Some absolutely diabolical schemes there. Now it's time to vote. We had Craig's 80s AIDS adventure. <laughs> Turner's sexy biker and entertainment system odyssey. Gaz's twisted ode to Chubby Checker. And my harebrained heroin scheme. I must say, I love that summary. Thank mm -hmm. you. Let's cast our votes. And remember, each vote is worth exactly one point for the diabolical leaderboard. Turner, who have you voted for? I voted for the plan that I think made the most amount of sense and wasn't the little old fucking mm. poppycock, which is Count... Oh, shit. Look, there he is. Count who? Countacular! Countacular. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gaz. And I've also written the words Countacular. Well, since we're on this 
gravy train, I've also voted for Count Attacula. And I voted for the one that would have made me embrace my new stepdad. I voted for Adam. So Gaz, what has that done to the diabolical leaderboard? Well, we have a brand new leader as Count Attacula sits at the top with three points. Joint second place with two points each is myself and Ben. And bringing up the rear with one point is Turner. You're only as good as your last game. It's all to play for. So Count Attacula, as next week's host, please tell us what film you've picked for us. I've really ummed and awed about this because I've got a big list. All right, stop showing off. Give us an example if you're umming and awing, please. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, Do you want me to blow into uh, a jug as you um and ah? <laughs> I'm going to pick a film where I've thought about what the aim would be. Sometimes I just put a film and then I have to, I have to watch it and think what mm. the aim is. But uh, I'm going to choose... The film First Blood. <laughs> Very good. That's it for another episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss an episode. But most importantly of all, tell your friends about us. We love that you allow our little podcast to come into your ears. And we would love the opportunity to come into many more people's ears too. Please help us achieve our dream of coming into as many ears as possible. Follow us on the usual social medias at Diabolical Pod throughout the week for more old twaddle. And join us next time when we'll be dissecting First Blood. And remember, sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's good advice. Lucy, played by Diane Weist. And she's good, isn't she? Everyone, come on, give her a round of applause. Hey. Well done, Diane. I refuse to play this game. Very good. <laughs> She's very good. <laughs> Diane Weist. We've all agreed, haven't we? She's very good. <laughs> Excellent in Edward hands. Various other childhood classics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just have a little <laughs> nagging feeling... Very good. She deserves it. Sorry, I, it was a delay in the audio. I just... A uh... little round of applause for Parenthood. Yeah, very good. Everyone's last Parenthood. Who's going to get the last clap, though? But... <laughs> <laughs> I think Michael got the clap in Craig's plan. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. I was about to say, Ben, you, you've lost control of this episode, but you, you got it back. <laughs> did, he, did he ever? He's got a loose rein, a very loose rein. <laughs> <laughs>